I want to welcome two families. We have three baptisms today. We have for Paris and Summer and Aaron. So family and fa- I think these are all our families right here. So three baptisms. We had four last weekend and three this weekend. So yes, indeed. All right. Also, on another note, um, another uh, kind of a birth, shall we say, from this world to the next, we, I want to announce the, the death of Jeanette Sims, who died, I think on Friday it was, maybe Thursday, but um, uh, it looks like her funeral is going to be, she was a longtime choir member, by the way, and you all remember Jeanette, she was, <laughs> and uh, so she, uh, she did pass, and uh, um, Looks like her funeral is going to be, what is it, on the 21st? Yeah, 21st uh, uh, next, next week, not this coming week. All right. May she indeed rest in peace. <clears throat> so today uh, in this gospel, we'll just give a kind of a working title for this message, Fix Your Focus. Hmm? You know, you, you and I have decisions to make. We just sort of think life just happens to us. You know, and you know, but it—it—it's it, not that life just happens to us. It's how we interpret and understand and see things. Um, again, you know, we we certainly are familiar in our culture with the idea of being an optimist or a pessimist and so on. Uh, you know, something happens. Some people see opportunities. Some people are f- afraid of change. And so again, it, it, it just because there's a set of facts in front of us does not mean that everybody will react the same way. I think we just know that humanly. So the question, though, is for a person of faith, when times of trial might set in, how do you see it? See, is it just meaningless? Is it just terrible, awful? Or is maybe God closing a door to open another one? And how do we see life? What, does this, what do the scriptures teach us, you know, about these things? Uh, one little, you know, quick uh, crib note you should always have from Romans chapter 8. All things work together for good for those who love and trust the Lord and are called according to his purposes. All things you notice, not just the things I like, not just the things that appeal to me, but even the painful things, even the difficult things, even the tragic things. God can make a way out of no way and God can draw out a home run from any curveball, okay? So again, these are the things that we, we either believe these things and live them when the difficulty set in or we get all discouraged and angry and, and resentful, you see. And so this is really what this gospel is teaching us. And um, I'd like to look at it in three stages. Um, there's a kind of a perceived distance from the Lord and there's a produced distress that comes from that. But then there is indeed, um, if you will, a point of decision that we all have to make. So let's look at how the gospel sets in. Jesus had multiplied the loaves and the fishes. Now, we didn't look at that gospel last weekend because it was the Feast of the, uh, because it was the, feast of the Ascension. I mean, sorry, of the Transfiguration of our Lord. But um, it was the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. So the Lord has just worked an incredible miracle. He's fed 20,000 people on five loaves and two fishes. Hmm. Now that's pretty impressive, huh? Now, if he can do that, if he did that yesterday, would you be afraid if he couldn't feed you today? I'll tell you, we, most of us, in a minute, we're going to get anxious again, right? 
It's amazing, and we can see incredible things, and yet we're going to find out that they, they struggle to lay hold of. Why am I so worried about so many things when this guy can take five loaves and two fishes and feed 20,000 people? Oh, you see, but they do, and so do we. So we start to see, though, that <clears throat> there is this... He then dismisses them, it says, uh, uh, this perceived distance. It starts here. After he had fed the people... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and to precede him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After doing so, he went up the mountain by himself to pray and was evening, he was there alone. Now, <clears throat> you know, I suppose the, the one detail you might wonder about, well, they say, well, Jesus, you tend us to the other shore, the other side of the lake, how are you going to get there, you know? <laughs> they don't seem to ask that question, but... It might have been on their minds, but okay, Lord, we'll go to the other side, you know, and we'll, I'll see you, he says, on the other shore. Okay, well, so they get in the boat. And they perceive a distance between them and Jesus. And, and at least from a physical point of view, that's the case. Jesus is up on the mountain alone praying, and they are out on the lake. And it's windy and stormy. Now, st not stormy in the sense of, um, there's no evidence here that, there's a, a thunder and lightning or that type of, but it's, a, the wind, it's windy. And if you've ever been out on a lake or out on the sea and it's windy, you know, the waters get very choppy. And the Sea of Galilee, because of the way the winds funnel through the, the mountains there, it gets very choppy on the Sea of Galilee when the winds set up from the north or the northwest. And so this is where they are. The wind, it says, was against them. Okay, so they're probably bailing out some water. It's getting choppy. It's hard to roll or what have you, and uh, there they are. Now, again, there is a perceived distance. Where is Jesus in all this, you see? Now, I'm reading into the text a little bit. It doesn't say that they perceive this distance, but Jesus is up on a mountain while they're out on a lake, and they're experienced fishermen, but they're in a pretty serious state. There's a, there's a great windstorm, and it's stirring up the lake, and they're probably shipping water, and trying to bail it out, and they're kind of in a panic and a frantic, and where is Jesus when you need him? You know? Okay, so you see the vision. And the uh, question is, this, this is, I noticed I've, I've titled this a perceived distance. You see, there, there is this mystery to all of us who've ever tried to live spiritual lives, that at times it seems that God hides his face. We feel distant from him. And we don't notice that it's our fault necessarily. We just wonder, well, Lord, I was praying. I felt so close to you. And, and now I, can't, I don't feel your presence. I, I don't hear your voice. I don't see you. And this can be, again, uh, something we all go through. Now, this is echoed all throughout the Psalms just to show that God knows this about us. He knows that at times that we experience this distance from him. And I could, there's hundreds of, hundreds, 150 Psalms, but I would say almost half of them mention something of this aspect of our life, our prayer life. I'll just give you a few, though. This is from Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, will you hide your face from me? Or again, it says here in Psalm 30, Lord, you hid your face, and I've been put to confusion. I need guidance. I need help. Where are you, Lord? I can't see you. I can't hear you. I feel distant from you. 
Or again, Psalm 44, why, O Lord, do you hide your face? Why do you forget our afflictions and our misery? We are bowed down. Rise up, Lord, deliver us. Let us see your face. Or again, simply Jesus on the cross, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's this anguished cry when we feel God is distant from us. But you'll notice again, I've called this a perceived distance. God is not distant from us. In fact, he can't be distant from us. There is, God is everywhere and there's nowhere for God to hide. <laughs> you know, again, it's all, you know, God can't go anywhere because he's already everywhere. <laughs> he's more present to you than you are to him, than you are to yourself, says St. Augustine. You are, he, is, you, he is more present to you than you are to your very self. We say that in, in theology that God is both imminent and transcendent. That is to say imminent. He is utterly present to all of his creation because he is the source of all creation's being. He's also transcendent. He's bigger than his creation. But if he were not present to every part of every molecule or atom, everything would just fall to pieces, would just vanish. We love our Latin our theology. You know, he is uh, ipsum esse subsistens, right? He is the very act of to be itself. So that anything that has being, God is holding it together in being. You know, again, there's, it says in the letter of the Colossians that Jesus holds all creation together in himself. There's a, a line or a, a story, you know, these... If you've never, you can probably find it online. There's a, sayings or stories of the Desert Fathers. The Desert Fathers were those who, when the Roman Empire was collapsing and everything was in chaos in Western Europe, began to go out into the desert to live. <laughs> the so-called Benedict Option, right? They, they just, they left the cities that were falling into complete chaos and violence and pandemonium and, and they went out and lived in the desert. And there's a whole series of sayings and teachings that they gave us. And many of them are somewhat in the form of a riddle. So let me tell you one of the Desert Father stories, but stay with me because its point is subtle but important. One day, uh, we'll call him Abba Moses. I can't remember the Desert Father's name, but Abba Moses, he's sort of the, the, the father out there in the desert and he has disciples. And one of the disciples went and they said, Abba Moses, what do I do about the distance that I experience from God? What do I do about that distance I experience with God? Abba Moses said, understand that it isn't there. Well, does that mean that, he, the disciple answered, does that mean that God and I are one? He said, not two, not one, not two. Not one, not two. He says, explain this to me. He says, well, the artist and his song, the sea and its waves, the candle flame and its heat, not one, not two. Some things are so together as to be one. So think of a candle flame. We can distinguish in our mind the heat and the light of a candle flame, but we can't physically take, the, take a knife and put the heat over here and the light over there. They're so together as to be one. And they could not be, you know, the one could not be without the other. Now, 
God doesn't need us to be, but we need him to be. <laughs> and so in other words, whatever perceived distance we experience, Abba Moses says, understand that it isn't there, that you and God are one. He's holding you together. You're not the same as God, but he's holding you together. There is no distance. And so again, your perception of the distance is wrong. Let me give you a couple of other scriptures to speak about that. In Psalm 139, it says, You discern my, you, you know, O Lord, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts. You discern my going out and my coming back. And you are familiar with all my ways. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where could I ever flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of a hell, you're there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn and go to the utter farthest place in the earth, even there your hand would have led me. Again, where, O Lord, can I flee from your presence, even if I wanted to? Or again, from Scripture we see in Jeremiah 23 where God says, Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. So this distance that we experience sometimes, understand, is not really there. Now there can be any number of reasons, you know, why we experience that distance. First of all, we're just weak. Our minds are very weak. We're very easily distracted, right? We, um, you know, sometimes our flesh demands to see everything in a very earthly and worldly way. We, our, our ability to see things spiritually is just, you know, well, I can't see it. Well, okay, but it's not about your retina. It's about your heart. We see with our hearts. But you see the idea. Because we get used to one way of seeing, we demand everything be seen on our terms. But God's inviting us to see more deeply to the meaning and reality of things that are beyond the merely apparent. Or again, sometimes it's our sins. They cloud our mind and our heart. It is true that if we fall out of a state of grace, the Holy Spirit does not indwell us, and we have to get to confession for that to return, but it certainly doesn't mean that God is not present to us. It just means that our ability to experience and perceive him is hindered, whether just on account of human weakness or on account of our sin. But know this, again to say, as St. Augustine says, he is more present to you than you are to yourself. All right. So the desert father, Abba Moses, says to us, what am I to do about the distance that I experience with God? Understand that it isn't there. Okay. Now, nevertheless, for most of us, <laughs> even when we're told this, I'm telling you, I'm telling myself, I'm reminding myself too, right? Amen. Walk out of this church and 10 seconds later, it's just right out of your mind, right? <laughs> and something comes up or you're struggling with something, you're feeling a little blue or depressed. You may know why, you may not even know why, but all of a sudden God seems distant and we're like, oh. And we find it hard to remember that that distance isn't really there at all. So we see that this perceived distance leads to a produced distress. So let's go back to the text. It says that, meanwhile, because 
where is Jesus? He told us to go to the other shore, and suddenly it's dark and windy, and the waves, and the boat is shipping water, and they're, they're fearful. And it says the boat was already a few miles offshore, tossed about by the waves, for the wind was contrary, was against it. All right. So they're trying to get there, and it's hard, and where's Jesus? And you know another story when he was asleep in the back of the boat. That's another. They forgot. They forgot he was even there, and they're all focused on the storm. And he, meanwhile, he's sleeping. He's not worried about that storm because he's focused on his father, all right? But nevertheless, that's a different story, but it's this, this perceived distance leads to a produced distress because when we think, well, where is God? God is not here we begin to get fearful about many, many things. Now, most of you have heard this, but if not, take a note that the word fear is not just a word, it's also an, uh, an acronym. Fear, false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. When God is, to at least to our experience, off in the distance and we forget what he's told us and that he's present, and we forget his miracles and his, the care he's given us throughout our life. When all that goes out of our mind, shadows loom large. Storms are magnified. All kinds of negative things loom much larger. And so we have a produced distress that is really false evidence appearing real. Now, most of us have been through some tough stuff in our life. I, like you, have had sudden losses of family members. We've all had, we suffered injustices. All of us have suffered difficulties with health or someone else that we're caring for and care about. We, you see. But on the other hand, look again at your life. Has not the Lord seen you through those things? And not only that, but has he not given you countless blessings besides those things? Life is a kind of an interesting mix of what we would call blessings and what we would call not blessings or curses. And I ask you, again, are we really in any position to even know sometimes how to distinguish a blessing from a burden? Because some burdens end up becoming blessings. Now, many of you have heard my little parable before. It's another parable from the Desert Fathers. But it goes like this. There was a man who owned a field and had a fence around it, and he had one horse and one son. One day the gate blew open and the horse ran off and his friends came to condole with him saying, sorry about that, your only, your only plow horse is gone. That's, that's going to be tough for you. Two days later, the horse came back with a wild, a wild stallion and a mare. <laughs> his friends came to rejoice with him. Now you have three horses. <laughs> and the man said, hmm, well, we'll see, we'll see. And so... Um, Next, two days later, his son is trying to break in the stallion and is thrown from the horse and breaks his arm and breaks his leg. And his friends come to condole with him again and say, ah, too bad for you. Now your only worker, your son, is, is all laid up, man. He says, hmm, we'll see. Two days after that, the emperor's army comes through saying, we're calling the draft, all able-bodied men to the war. And the son couldn't go because he had a broken arm and a broken leg. <laughs> and his friends came to rejoice with him. And um, he said, hmm, we'll see. <laughs> In other words, you see that the burdens produce a blessing. Strangely, and some of the blessings seem to produce burdens. We, we are not always in a position even to know in our life the bigger picture of what God is up to. 
<clears throat> but when we get distant from God and distant from his word, we perceive there's a distance, we get fearful, we, we have a produced distress. And so again, we have to keep reminding ourselves. And choir, you know, for me, one of the ways I remember is through some of the songs you all sing. We haven't sung it in a while, but many years ago there was a song, you know, when the storms of life are raging, stand by me, right? When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, when the host of hell assail and my strength begins to fail, thou who never lost a battle, stand by me. Or the other song that we do sing frequently, and we should, that it simply says that, um, again, this, um, this beautiful image of, um, um, you know, that whatever, whatever, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul, it is well. So again, the song says, you know, again, it teaches us that um, when we're in peaceful places, it is well with my soul, but even when there's difficulties, it is still well with my soul. Because God is working all things out for good for those who love and trust the Lord. But we're forgetful of that. That's why we need those old songs to remind us. We need those songs. And we need to be reminded of God's presence and what he's taught us when the storms do come. So again, where are you going to fix your focus? On the storms of life? Or are you going to focus on God who's seen you through storms and has been the countless author of many countless blessings in your life? What will you focus on? What will I when trouble sets in? Now, that then leads us to the point of decision. It says here that during this fourth watch of the night, which means basically it's right before dawn, and they like to say it's dark, it's before the dawn. I don't know if that's true, but anyway. <laughs> Sound, it ought to be true, right? Okay. Uh, but during the fourth watch of the night, he came toward them walking on the sea. The answer to their prayers, where's Jesus? He's coming toward them. But because they're so locked in fear that came upon them because of this experience of distance, they're so locked in fear, they think they're seeing a ghost. Now, sometimes you and I look at God's blessings and we think we're looking at a, something terrible. But like that little parable I told you from the Desert Fathers about, well, we'll have to see. You know, get used to saying that a lot in life. Hmm, we'll see. Oh, what a blessing. Hmm, we'll see. Oh, what a tragedy. Hmm, we'll see. But they see him and they immediately conclude this is even a worse disaster. Why? Because there's false evidence appearing real. They think it's a ghost. It's not a ghost, it's Jesus. He's walking on the water. Pretty impressive. Are you, are you clear? I might stop being, if, if somebody could walk on the water and told me not to be afraid, I think I might do some trusting, at least for a minute, right? All right. So again, he's walking on the water. But they think they're seeing a ghost. And Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. So right there in the midst of the storm, right there in all that windiness and they're trucking water and all the stuff that they're doing, Jesus is there, and he says, take courage, it's I. So he, he wasn't distant. And Jesus says, lo, I am with you all days until the end of the world. You see, even when they see him finally, they're still scared. 
and this is how we are. But you have to decide, are you, am I going to focus on the storms and what's wrong? Or are we going to focus on the glory of our God who can rescue us, who can write straight with crooked lines and make a way out of no way? And that is ultimately our point of decision. Now then to conclude, there are, if you will, um, three examples in the readings today about people who needed to focus on the bigger picture and realize that they can't always know what God is up to, but God is reminding them, I'm for you, I'm not against you. I'm up to something good, even when you don't think so. So the first one is Ezekiel. Now Ezekiel has just won a tremendous battle against the prophets of Baal. He challenged them to a prophetic duel, so to speak, and they were calling on their God to bring down fire and take up the Holocaust, and Ezekiel's calling on the Lord God, and sure enough, God comes through, and that fire comes on down and licks up the wind, and people are astonished, and they fall on their faces, and they cry out, the Lord is God! What a victory! But all of a sudden, Ezekiel gives way to fear, because Jezebel is after him. Jezebel, the wife of the king who was into the Baals and uh, is very upset with what, what uh, Ezekiel has done here. And so he, he, heads, he heads for the hills. And at one point he's in a really low spot. He's depressed, he won't eat. And they, God has to send him a raven to give him food and an angel that says, you better eat because you won't have strength for the journey. Remember that and don't miss communion, everybody. But anyway... And he's just, and finally God comes to him. He says, Ezekiel, what is the problem, man? <laughs> and he says, well, you know, I'm the only one. He's very, he's very Jewish. Oy vey. I mean, I'm, I've been fighting for your truth, oh, Lord, and nobody's listening, and I'm the only one left. And that's kind of the way, right? And God says to Ezekiel, get out of here, Ezekiel. I got 7,000 people back there in Jerusalem who never bent the knee to Baal, and I want you to go take care of them. Now cut it out. Stop being so dismal. <laughs> Stop being so negative. And he gets them up and sends them back, and he appoints the successor, Elisha, and again, the work of prophecy must go on. See? So you see again, I'm the only one. <laughs> well, there might be a few others. What do you think, huh? Okay. And um, now the next one is from St. Paul. St. Paul is in just desperation. He said, I cannot understand why God is permitting that all of my fellow Jews, so many of them, the vast majority of them, are rejecting the very Messiah that was promised to them and from whom they, the Messiah came. How can this be that my own people are vastly rejecting him. What's happened, Lord? Is your plan not successful? Is your, is your path not, 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 not profitable? What, what is it? What is it? And he said, finally, God had to say to me, no, a hardening has come on Israel until the full number of the Gentiles comes in. And then I will turn back to Israel and Israel will turn back to me. So God is saying to him, I've permitted this for now. So the people like you and me, most of us from the Gentiles, huh? Most of us, if not all of us, we wouldn't be here today, perhaps. That's what the Lord is saying. If that hardening had not come upon the early Jewish community, many of whom, not all, but many of whom rejected their own Messiah. But we are a Catholic, a worldwide faith today because of that.
God can write straight with crooked lines. God can make a way out of no way. God can take any curveball and hit a home run. And one day, too, he'll turn back. Many of the Jewish people will find their way to God. And then finally, we have, of course, Peter. And Peter, at a critical moment, says, all right, if it is you, Lord, now, I, don't, I, wouldn't, have told, I wouldn't have said this. <laughs> if it's really you, tell me to step out onto the water. That would not have even occurred to me, y'all, okay? <laughs> I'd tell him something that was safer, like, tell me my mother's maiden name. <laughs> something like that. Uh, but, but again, but Peter has this, why did Peter even think to do that? Well, I, all I know is that he heard the voice of the Lord. And something in that moment consoled him, just like Mary Magdalene, when Jesus called her by her name. Suddenly she saw, he's not dead, he's alive, that voice. And Peter is willing to step out. He has this incredible faith for a minute, for a minute. It says simply in the text that as he began to notice how strong the winds were, he began to fear and sank. See, he turned his attention from God to the storm. Ezekiel had his eye on the storm, not on God. But God wasn't in the storm. God wasn't in that fire. God was more present to him than any of those things. God spoke to him in the whisper. Likewise, Paul, distressed, horrified that his own kinsmen have rejected the Messiah, God says, don't be. Just keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on the prize. Don't be worried about that. That's above your pay grade. You go preach to whomever I send you. And then finally to Peter. Peter, as long as you had your eyes on me and you were listening to my voice, you walked on the water. You defied the storm. But when you turn your attention away and your memory slaps and you forgot what I told you, you begin to sink. So I'm kind of spinning my wheels right now, kind of repeating, so it's time to end. (laughs) What will you do? What will you focus on? What is your decision? When you, not right now, yes, right now, but when you go out the door, 10 minutes from when you leave here, and a, a phone call comes in, and it's the voice of the storm. What will you do? What will you focus on? What will I focus on? That's your decision. Okay. And so again, for all of us, a decision to make. Jesus or the storm? The storm or Jesus? Amen.